Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. It's good to see you this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is where we're going to be. Uh, just remind you, I know that it was in the look through life, but we have a family meeting tonight at 530. We hope that you guys can come out to hear uh, just some, some good things that are going on in our church. We kind of pulled the curtain back a little bit and, and uh, we'll be giving you a, a number of different key um, information points of just things that are going on in the church. We want you to be aware of that. So I want to encourage you to come out again tonight. So last week, if you are not here last week, uh, I encourage you to go back and listen to our Vision Sunday, because as, as you can see the banner behind me, we unveiled a new vision statement. I'm not sure how many of you saw it in the lobby when you walked in, but we have it above the guest services table. But, but the, the new vision statement that we shared last week was that, that, that we at Life Fellowship exist so that every man, woman, and child in Lake Norman and beyond has the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus. And we looked at last week this whole theme of God desiring partners and representatives for him. And this is something he's always wanted. If he, we looked at this passage, Revelation chapter 5, how God has God's vision for what he wants in the world, that he wants every tribe, every nation, every tongue to come and to worship him at his throne. And so what we get to do now is be a part of that. He invites us to say, will you partner with me and will you represent me to the world in which you now live? That we've been called here into Lake Norman, where we live, learn, work, and play, and to say, what are we going to do? Are we going to partner with God, and are we going to represent Him? Now, that was the big vision last week. So here, here's, the, here's the question that, that we're going to answer this week, and that is this. How do I do that? In fact, I would say this. One of the things that's true about partnering and representing Jesus that we've got to make clear is, is this. We've got to learn how to represent him well before we can partner with him well. Does that make sense? So the whole idea of representing God is I'm aligning my life. I'm aligning my behavior, my thoughts, my actions, that I am becoming like Christ in all things. That's what Christ came to do to transform our lives. And so, so if, we do not, if we do not represent him, our partnering with him, locking arms with the Holy Spirit, say, okay, God, what do you want me to do for you? That will be severely limited if we do not represent him well. So the representation needs to take place before the partnering can really succeed. But here's, here's what I know. That's hard, right? That's a hard thing to do. That how many times do we say, all right, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to represent you. And we go a little ways and pff, we, we struggle, we fall, we fail. We, we go in these cycles of doing well and then not doing well spiritually. And, and what we're going to talk about today is really aligning this idea of, of our mission statement, which is to pursue at all costs a passionate God-centered life with how that makes, it, how that makes gospel saturation possible. You see, we won't be able to take the gospel to every man, woman, and child in Lake Norman and beyond if we ourselves are not pursuing at all costs a passionate, God-centered life. If we're not doing that, then the opportunities to partner with God to take the gospel to every man, woman, and child will be severely limited. Um, one of the things that I, I, my, both of my boys went through training for Chick-fil-A, even though they never worked for Chick-fil-A. I know it was weird. Uh, they, they had a bad boss that never actually hired them, but they, they did two whole weeks of the Chick-fil-A training. 
and they had these notebooks and they would, they, for two weeks, every day they would go and they would watch videos and they would be trained on how to be a Chick-fil-A employee. And I was pretty impressed with Chick-fil-A's training. I mean, they, they hammer that whole thing so that when, no matter what you do or where you, you know, you go to Chick-fil-A and you say anything to them, what are they going to say back to you? My pleasure. They got that down. And it's because their training is so excellent. Now, I, at the age of 15, got a job at Burger King. All right. I was a fry guy. And, and, and this was my hiring experience. Watch Joe for an hour and then take over. That was it. I mean, and now you know why Burger King is the way they are and Chick-fil-A is the way they are. And, and the discrepancies of the experience, but here's one of the things that Chick-fil-A wants. They want to make sure that anyone who puts on that uniform, that, that's going to represent them, they've been trained to know, when I, no matter what Chick-fil-A I walk into, I expect excellent service, excellent food, and you better say my pleasure. That's, that's what we expect. Well, Jesus, no less than that, says, if you're going to put on my uniform, you got to know what it's like to represent me. You got to know what it's like to, to, to say what I would say and think the way I think. And, and so when I was thinking about passages of scripture that really encompass that mission statement that we have to pursue at all costs, a passionate God-centered life, I, I, I thought of Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. This passage right here is one of, is one of my favorite in all of scripture. And, and there's two ideas that, that, that Romans 12, one and two really carry with it that I think are the driving forces and the behaviors that help us to pursue at all costs a passionate God-centered life. And the two ideas are this, dedication and transformation. Dedication and transformation. Verse one of chapter 12 really talks about the idea of dedication. And verse two talks about this idea of transformation. I want us to see this again. Let's, let's read in verses one and two. It says, I appeal, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Two, two ideas, dedication and transformation. If I could summarize what these two verses are about in one sentence is this, we need dedication for transformation. We need dedication for transformation. If we are going to partner with God, We've got to represent him. If we're going to represent him well, then we first need to understand what, what Paul is teaching us in this passage. It requires us to really look at our lives and say, if I, am I living my life as a living sacrifice? If I, am I fully given myself to represent Jesus? And am I walking this path of transformation? I'm becoming, as it says in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm being transformed from one degree of glory to the next into the image of Jesus Christ. That is what is needed. We, we can't just make pursuing at all costs a passion God in our life. Just the slogan we say at the end of the services. Like it can't just be our my pleasure statement. It really has to be something that says, that's what I want. That's what I want my life to represent. Because here's the problem. All of us wake up in the, in the, the, the inclination, the steering of, of our hearts is always me-centered. To pursue at all costs a God-centered life. Is, is, is challenging because when we wake up every day, we want the pursuing at all costs a me-centered life. 
and the I will pursue half-heartedly a God-centered life. And so we have to confront our own selves. And here's the thing. I don't know what's in your heart. Only God and you do. But, but I would ask you this question before we really dig into the text. Where are you when it comes to pursuing all costs, a passionate God-centered life? Are you someone that can say, you know what? Yes, I'm doing that. Or at least I'm trying to do that. Or is it kind of like, and I just, let's move on to something else. God is looking. Remember, remember, this is not what I want. This isn't what our church, this is what God wants. God is looking for partners and representatives. Will we be obedient? Will we answer the call that Jesus has given to us? And so let's look at these, let's look at these verses in, in detail. In, in verse one, here's, here's the main idea. The, the, the love of Jesus drives dedication. The love of Jesus drives dedication. Now look at, look at what he says there in the very first, that very first section. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Now let's just stop right there. I, I remember memorizing this. This is one of my first verses I ever memorized uh, after I became a Christian. And I remember the old King James Version. You guys remember the old King James Version? It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Doesn't that sound really holy and scriptural, right? I beseech you, therefore. Now, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you have to ask this question, what is it there for? Whenever you see a therefore, ask yourself, what is it there for? Well, Paul, when he says, I appeal to you, I beseech you, I urge you, as some translations say, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. Okay, let me just stop right there. Paul is saying, there's something that I've previously written. And if I could back up all the way to Romans, I'm going to give a summary of Romans chapter 1 through, through 11 right now, okay? So Paul is writing this letter to the church of Rome. And he's, he's, he's writing to them this treatise of the gospel. It's really, if you read Galatians like we just went through a series in our church, Romans is a much deeper and thorough explanation of Paul's arguments about what the gospel is. But Paul, in the, very, in the first three chapters, has this one main point. You and I and everyone else in the world, we are all sinners. All of us, whether you're Jew or Gentile, we all fall short of the glory of God. We need God to save us. And I don't care if you grew up with the, with the Bible or you grew up as a pagan. All of us, all of us need Jesus to save us. And then chapter four, he says, well, it's not by works that you're saved. It's really by faith. If you go all the way back to Abraham, Abraham believed God and was credited to him for righteousness. So therefore, if we're going to follow the pattern of scripture, it is faith that saves. It is not good works. And then if that's true, that's by faith, then we have to understand all of the things that God gives to us, these mercies, right? The, the, the idea of grace that he pours out on us, his undeserved favor through Jesus Christ, that redemption, this idea that he has bought us back from the slavery of sin and the slavery of guilt and the slavery of shame, that we are no longer in bondage anymore to that, that we have been set free to, to serve now Christ. That this idea of redemption, this idea of propitiation, that, that Jesus Christ took the wrath of God for our sins upon himself and paid the price for his, of his life for our sake, right? There's this substitutionary uh, atonement idea that's there. This idea of reconciliation, that we were once distanced from God. Sin put a barrier between the holiness of God and us, but Christ came to bridge that gap to reconcile all creation to himself. 
And, and another idea, the righteousness, the love of God, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So, so when Paul is saying, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, what he is saying is, if the mercies of God that I've just talked about in chapters 1 through 11, if that doesn't blow your mind, if that doesn't make you shake your heart and be like, whoa, God loves me that much, there's something wrong with you. Something wrong with you. You know, one of the greatest dangers that I've seen, I saw this in my own life when I was growing up, and I see it in, in churches all across the country. I grew up as a pastor's kid. I went to church three times a week. I didn't have a choice about it. Whether, whether I thought church stunk or not, I had no choice. I was showing up. And one of the things, one of the things, as I grew up in the church, I just, my heart started getting cold towards the things of God. And, and I, could, I could tell you what the gospel was. I could recite to you verses. I could share with you the Romans road. I can recite the verses of how someone should receive Jesus and how someone could receive Jesus. But here is the greatest problem that I see in so many churches. For those of us who have grown up in the church or maybe have been a part of church for so long or the Christian faith, we have become inoculated to the gospel. You know, that idea of inoculation, it's the science that was developed back in the, uh, really, it's an ancient practice, but really in the Western world, we didn't pick it up until the 18th century. But this whole idea, when they were trying to diminish smallpox in, in, across the, uh, the known world, they would put a little needle through the smallpox you know, sore and then put that needle through someone else's skin to give them a little bit of the virus to build the antibodies in their body so it could reject the virus later on. Here's what is, I believe has happened to so many people that attend church on Sunday mornings, that they walk into a church building like this and they hear about the amazing, the powerful, the earth shattering love of Jesus. And they sit there and their heart is not moved. They, they, they don't, it doesn't, there's nothing inside of them that has any kind of response to the reality of the gospel, of the mercies of God. Man, when we hear the mercies of God, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, when we think about the mercies of God, we should just be blown away. That's what, that's, that's what Paul's saying. So, so, so based on what Christ has done, here's what he says. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Here's this idea of dedication. I want you to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now, there's a lot of images here that, that I, I wish we had time to really, I mean, there's an entire sermon series in, Ro, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, but, but let me just kind of look through some of the main ideas. First thing that Paul says is, I want you to present your bodies. Why bodies? Why does, why does Paul say bodies in this? Why doesn't he say your heart, your soul, your mind? I, I believe what Paul was saying is this. I want you to present your whole self. See, back in those days, and I think this idea still permeates in our, in our thinking today in a lot of ways. There's a philosophy called Gnosticism. I think I've shared about Gnosticism in the past here. But the idea of Gnosticism in those days was the material world is evil and bad and wrong. And the spiritual world, it, the immaterial, that's good. And so the idea of, of a, you know, your, you can do things. Here's what, how Gnosticism impacted their, their, uh, their, their culture. 
go, you can go do whatever you want to in physical form, as long as it doesn't, it doesn't affect your spiritual form. So you can go visit the temple prostitute on Tuesday and still show up at, at our gathering here on Sunday. And Hey, because what happened in the body, I happened in the body. It's separate from what happens in my soul. So with my spirit, I can worship God, but in my body, I can do whatever I want to over here. And Paul, I think is really confronting this cultural acceptable ideal that no, no, Whatever happens in the physical affects the spiritual. Whatever is the spiritual affects the physical. That we are one, we are one in, in Christ. That, yeah, there might be different parts of us, but they come together. Present your bodies. I don't want you just intellectually or spiritually say, I'm committed to God. No, what Paul's saying is, I want you all in. Stop putting limitations on what you say yes to God for. That's what Paul's saying. What, what are the limitations that you say, all right, God, no, or uh, not yet, or I will win. You know, one of the things I, I, in the 20, almost 25 years of pastoral ministry, I've seen over and over again, someone will come to see me and they'll, they'll say, I want to serve God. I want to follow him in, 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 in different words. I want to partner with God and I want to represent him. But here's the problem. I got this spouse over here that's holding me back. I got, I got my job. I got my kids. I got this. I got that. And what they're saying is, I want to do this, but the conditions just aren't right. Listen, can I just tell you something right now? The conditions will never be right for you to present your body as a living sacrifice. We have to confront our own, our own environments to say, to pursue at all costs a passionate God-centered life will never be easy, and it will never be the opportune time. There will always be something in your way to keep you from partnering with God and representing Him. Always. What Paul's saying is you got to stop making excuses. Stop putting barriers and boundaries around what you're going to say yes to God for. If you're going to say yes, say yes completely. Living sacrifice. Now, here's the other thing. Living sacrifice is an oxymoron. If you think about it, it's, it's kind of like a jumbo shrimp. You, know, you put two words together and it just doesn't make sense. Living sacrifice, because a sacrifice is, is essentially dead, but to be a living one. So, you know, jumbo shrimp, effective government. These are all words <laughs> of essentially, they're oxymorons. They just don't tend to work. Living sacrifice, living sacrifice. Now, we can talk about the practical implications of what that means, I believe what Paul, Paul might be talking about, hey, that just means, he, he, what he could be meaning at some level is, hey, make sure that, you know, die to self and live for God, right? That carries that idea. But I think it's deeper than that. I think what living, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What I think Paul is doing is he's pointing to Jesus. Because there's only one person who truly was a living sacrifice and is a living sacrifice. It's Jesus Christ. And if, and if, when he says, appeal to you brothers by the mercies of God of all that Jesus has done, he's also saying, now I want you to be all that Jesus is. I want to appeal to you, present your bodies as, as Jesus is, you are holy and acceptable. So, so this idea, I'm going to represent Jesus in the fullness of who I am. I'm not going to say, God, I will, I will represent Jesus in my Bible study group, or I'll represent Jesus in my home to my children, but not at work, 
Not, not at the soccer team. Not at school. You know, there are things that we will just say, there are environments where I say, uh, it's harder to do that in these places. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is Paul's appeal. And then he ends there, the end of verse 1, which is your spiritual worship? Now, some translations uh, translate it, which is, your, uh, which is your reasonable act of service. The, these words that Paul uses really are words used to describe, if you look at the Old Testament translation into the Greek, which is what they call the Septuagint, these were words, the words that are used here are, are words used to describe the priestly duties that the Levitical priesthood would do at the temple or at the tabernacle. And so here's what Paul is doing. I think he's doing a very, he's doing an excellent job. He's saying, I, I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I, based on all that Christ is and what Christ has done, I want you to, to dedicate yourself to the fullness of who Jesus is. Don't hold back. And, and then he says, this is your spiritual act of worship, or here's this your, 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 your reasonable act of service. I believe what Paul's doing is he's, he's sharing two ideas that for all of us, if we're going to remain dedicated there's two, act, there's two forces that have to be working inside of us, and that is this, both delight and duty, okay? Now, I've, I've been in the room before, and people have preached, and it's like, it's not about duty, it's about delight. I, I truly believe that. But there are also times you're just not going to feel like it. There's just times you're not going to feel like following Jesus. There's times you're going to feel like I heard it said one time as a living sacrifice. The problem is you're always trying to crawl off the altar, right? There are times where you're not going to want what God wants. And what Paul is saying is in light of all that Christ has done, respond in love to him. But that love should drive us because it just makes, it's our, it's our, not only our delight to follow Jesus, it's also our duty. This is reasonable Require, this is a reasonable response to who Jesus is. And so I think as Christians, we have to remember this dedication doesn't just happen when I feel like it. When we sing a good song and I'm spiritually moved, or when I read a verse and I hear a good sermon, or then, then I mean, it's just so much easier to follow Jesus. No, you follow Jesus because it makes sense. You follow Jesus because that's who you are and that's what he's called you to do. So dedication, let, let the love of Jesus drive our dedication. And then number two, let's look at verse two. The power of Jesus produces transformation. The power of Jesus produces transformation. Now look what he says, the very first thing, if we're going to be dedicated knowing, saying, okay, I'm going to present my body as a living sacrifice. I'm going to pursue at all costs a passionate God-centered life. But know this Paul knows that the moment you say, all right, God, here I am, living sacrifice. I want all, no limitations. All my yeses are on the table. What do you want from me? He knows that the moment you say yes to God, there will be people fighting against you to say yes to something else. And he says it right here. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world world or the, you know, the idea he's carrying is, is this age. He's saying that the moment you say yes to God, there will be forces against you that will push against your desire to partner with God and to represent him. There will be forces working against you. And he says, do not be conformed to this world. So this idea is all of us inside of us have these, these 
forces working inside of us, both the world, the flesh, and the devil, that we're working against what God wants. And so when he says, do not be conformed to this world, what he's saying is, don't let the world put you in its mold. Now, how many of you ever have ever played with Play-Doh before? Just raise, raise your hands. You guys, all right, all of you know what Play-Doh is. I remember before technology, they put lumps of Play-Doh before us and said, have fun, kids. Like, that's, that's what we had to do. And, and we had these little, little, little tubs of Play-Doh. And, um, you know, maybe you're one of those really uh, weird people that didn't let any of the colors mix. You know, because after about a week with Play-Doh, like, everything was brown because everyone just mixed all the colors together. But that when you play with Play-Doh, it's just idea you had these little molds and you could put the Play-Doh in the mold and you squeeze the mold in and you could create little, you could create animals, you could create people, you could create houses, you could create whatever you want because the whole idea of Play-Doh is you can conform it into any image you have. That's what Play-Doh is. And what Paul is saying is don't be Play-Doh. Don't be a lump of Play-Doh in the world. That you, there's going to be forces against you. There's going to be powers working against you to say, don't want what God wants. Don't partner with him. Don't represent him. That's too hard. That, do you know what people will think if you actually speak up and say something like that? No, don't, don't worry about that. Become like us. Listen, one of the things that we have got to be aware of as the people of Jesus Christ. If we're going to call ourselves Christians, we have to be aware of the forces in which the world is trying to say, be like us. You know, I was, I was one of my um, favorite podcasts I love listening to is Jordan Peterson. And I've read, uh, I've read his books. I've, I've read not all of his books, but I've read a lot of his things and I've listened to a lot of podcasts. And there's some things, again, I don't agree with all of Jordan Peterson says and does, but he says uh, he's a truth teller. And one of the things that I really appreciate about him, and uh, because I'm going back to school and getting my master's in counseling psychology, I've, I've done a lot of reading for him. He taught psychology at Harvard and at the University of Toronto. But one of the things he tries to do with all of his freshman classes, when the entry-level psychology classes, he tries to convince them of one basic truth when they're in there. All of you would have been Nazis if you grew up in Germany. If you grew up during the, during the 1930s, you would have joined the Nazis. And his class fights back. He's like, no, because human nature is adapt and blend in. Don't stand out. Don't, don't conform. Conform to the world. And what we see and what we know, not just from Germany's history, but from our own history, what we know is about 170 and years ago and longer, you could walk into a church and you could hear sermons and preachers preach that the Africans and black people were less human. They were subhuman and therefore they deserved to be enslaved. You would hear preachers in churches that believed in the Bible, believed in the gospel, preach that utter evil nonsense in this country. And, and, here's, and here's what we all have to confront, ask ourselves. Would I have been the lone person growing up in the South 200 years ago to say slavery is wrong? Would you have been willing to be ostracized by your neighbors and friends, be labeled as a radical? Would you have joined you know, men like 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer to say, you know what? If I don't care what happens to me, I don't care what happens to my house. I don't care what happens to my, to my children. I'm going to preach the truth. I read a book years ago called Preaching Under the Shadow of the Swastika. It came out about 2016. It was seven or eight sermons of German pastors that got up on a church on a Sunday morning, knowing there were Nazis in, this, in their congregation, and they preached the gospel, and they preached the Bible, and they preached against Nazism, knowing that the next week they would not be in their pulpit and most likely would be in prison. And we have to ask ourselves, it may not be racism and slavery that we are battling. It may not be fascism in the way that it expressed itself in, in 100 years ago in Germany. But, but here's the question. What is it about our day and age that we just are going along? See, what, what I see happening is an erosion of the biblical sexual ethic that has been around for over 2,000 years. And what they're saying is, no, no, what, what is good sexually is whatever you choose to do, whatever fulfills you personally. There's no boundaries. Sex is not sacred. Gender is not sacred. They are not created by, by God for God within marriage. No, no, you, what matters most is that you are fulfilled sexually. So it doesn't matter what gender you sleep with or have sexual relationships with. It doesn't matter what gender you choose. That can all be fluid. That can all change. Because what matters most is your sexual fulfillment. Listen. The word of God will always be under attack at some level in some way. And the test of our day and age is going to be different. What, what, we have to, what you have to ask yourself is, are there ways in which I am being conformed into the world's image? And I'm not standing up and saying, no, I'm not going along with that. I'm not going to let that, the world tell me how to think, tell me what to believe, and tell me how to act. I will not be conformed to this world, but instead I will be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Now, this is something that's really, is it be transformed? This idea of, uh, it's the, the Greek word for transformed is really where you get the word metamorphosis from. It carries this idea of changing completely. And here's what we, here's what's so beautiful about this word. As much as the power and the forces of the world are working against you, and against your family to be like the world, you also have the powerful forces of God working for you to be transformed. When, when Paul gives a command, it's very unique. Paul gives a command, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is an imperative, okay? But it's also an imperative in the passive tense, which means this, when, when there's a verb in the passive, when it's in the active, it means you do it. This is an action you are doing. When a verb is in the passive, it means this is something that's happening upon the subject of the verb. And so how are you commanded to do something in a passive sense? And what Paul's trying to thread the needle of is this. You are commanded to do this, but know this, you are not alone. If you want to represent God and partner with God, yes, there are forces that will be working against you, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But what's even greater is that you have the power behind you that is working for your transformation. You see, God isn't just looking for partners. God's also partnering with you. No matter how well you partner with him, 
He is partnering with you. If you have accepted him as your Lord and your Savior, you have been given the Holy Spirit as a down payment for your inheritance of salvation, and he will give you everything you need for life and godliness. I I want you to see what, what Paul's talking about here, because when he says, you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind or the renewal of your mind. What he's saying is the problem is not data. The problem is not information. The problem is processing. See, you ever, you know, we hear politicians and, and people today, whenever the social ills of the day, you know, the, the poverty and the breakdown of society, one of the things you'll hear over and over and over again as one of the solutions for the problems is, we need better education. As if educating someone, giving something more knowledge, more information, more data will somehow impact the heart. And here's what we believe as followers of Jesus and people who believe in God's word. Here's what we know. I don't care how much information you have and I don't care how much money you have. There's a human condition problem and it's called sin. And it cannot be fixed by man's means. It can only be fixed by the power of God. And this is what Paul says. I I want you to turn briefly with me to to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Because I want you to see what Paul is talking about here. When he says, I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, what is he talking about? I'm going to give you, in the remaining moments that we have here, a picture of what Paul means by be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay? Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Paul says this, and this is his prayer for the Ephesians, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. So here's what he's saying. Sorry, you need God's help for for you to know. You, You can't even take the information from God's word and the knowledge about God and really understand it on your own. You need God's spirit of wisdom and revelation to help you to even know, to comprehend, to process all the things that God is and what he's done. And so this is what he's saying. We need God's help. So when he says, when Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, what he's saying is you need God's help for all of it. God, help, help my mind to be renewed. Give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Well, a spirit in the revelation of what? What about God? Look at verse 18. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What, is, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And listen to this, verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? according to the working of his great might. Let me just stop there. So Paul says, I want you to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation so you might know the hope of his calling, the hope that you have in him, that you might understand the riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints, that you'd understand the the grace that you have, the hope and the grace that you have in Jesus Christ. But he doesn't end there. Verse 19 says this, that you might know What is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? Paul, in verse 19, shares five Greek words that express the power, words for power and strength. Five different words. Now, why would Paul use five different words? I believe Paul is trying to make a a point. He's saying this. There's not enough words in our language to describe how great this power is. It's that big. It's 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 that incredible. And not only that, it's not even beyond language. Look at verse 20. 
that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Now, not only does Paul say, I don't have enough words to describe the power of God, but he uses an illustration for God's power, the resurrection of Jesus. Now, why was that illustration so important? Why is that power, the power that Paul uses to say, that's the power working inside of you? And the reason why I believe that Paul is using this, this illustration of power is because if you look at, the, again, if you span biblical history, God's power has always been on display. It's always been on display. You have God's power of creation, making something out of nothing. You have God's power of, of redemption and salvation where he rescues, you know, his people from, from Egypt and, and, and uh, you know, letting, helping people go get free of their, of their problems. You have God's power of, of restoration. You see all the healing that God does throughout scripture. And then you have the power of judgment. You know, everything from fire coming down to, to, on Mount Sinai to, to the plagues against Egypt, God has shown his judgment power throughout history. Now, here's why Paul uses the resurrection. Because it's only at the resurrection that all four kinds of God's power are present. It's God's magnus opus of it, saying, there's no greater work of God's power because God made something dead come alive, new creation. God, God, God restored, reconciled humanity to God. He restored Jesus to life. He, he redeemed, he brought people from, from the curse of sin and death. He brought pain and judgment against the, the curse, against the evil one, against the, the curse of sin and death. Every act of power that God could commit was committed at this, at the cross and at the resurrection. So this is what Paul's saying. God is not holding out on you. There's no power that you lack. There's nothing that you lack in God. So when he says, be transformed, go back. When he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, it's not a matter of, I need more information about the Bible or more information about Jesus. And that's good. That's important. That's necessary. But what we really need is the, the processing, the mindset that says this, that God's power is for me. That there's no challenge that I face in life that, that I cannot overcome. There's no, there's no enemy in the world. There's no enemy of the devil. There's no enemy within my own flesh that I face that God's power and God's presence and God's promise does not help me overcome. That, that's why Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So as you are walking out your faith and you hit that, bam, you hit that roadblock of transformation. It says, I can't get beyond this sin. I can't get beyond this problem. I can't overcome this, this issue in my life. Listen, let me just tell you something. That's only temporary. It's only temporary. Because being transformed by the renewing of your mind is possible through the power of God. When we talk about pursuing at all costs, a passionate God-centered life. That is something that is only possible because of the love of God drives us to, de to dedication and the power of God drives transformation. And that is, it makes partnering and representing Jesus possible to you today.
So stop putting limits. Stop putting boundaries around yourself and what God's asking you to do. Lastly, that last part of that verse, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, that's basically Paul saying, listen, as you are being transformed, as you dedicate your life to him and as you see your life transformed, you will see that path to God to say, this is how to live. I'm not going to give you a million different, just like remember we study this in the book of Galatians. I'm not going to give you a million list of rules to live. I'm going to give you my spirit and I'm giving you my word. And that will be enough for you to, to blaze the, the path in life that I'm calling you to, to partner with me and to represent me. So four questions and then we're done. Number one, first question is this, what is driving your dedication towards God? What is driving your dedication towards God? Is it circumstances? Is it the environment? Maybe a better question would be, what are the limitations to your dedication? Is the love of Christ, are the mercies of God so magnificent to your soul that you can't help but say yes to God? Living sacrifice, no problem. Holiness, I want it because of what you've done for me. Number two, what are, you, what are you going to do to battle against the world's conforming power? What are you doing to battle against the world's conforming power? All of us need to be aware. We're not in Nazi Germany and we're not in the, the deep south of 200 years ago. But guess what? We, are, we live in today. And there are, there are forces of the world that are trying to conform you. And you've got to be aware of it and fight against it. Are you? Are you aware of it? And what are you doing to battle against it? Number three. How are you partnering with God to renew your mind? Again, it's, it's not an issue of more information. It's a, it's a matter of how am I changing my thinking as I approach life? Am I thinking, am I processing all of things, everything, through this lens of the gospel, of all that God has given to me? And then number four, will you pursue at all costs a passionate God-centered life? You know, th- that's... It's not just a statement. Maybe what we need to be asking at the end of every service is, will you pursue at all costs? Will this week, tomorrow, will this, be, will this be your mission tomorrow when you wake up? Because the vision to take the gospel to every man, woman, child, and Lake Norman and beyond, that's before us. That's the opportunity. And we're never, we're never going to see Lake Norman saturated with the gospel until we, every individual disciple of Jesus decides, God, I'm partnering with you and I'm going to represent you. Dedication and transformation. That's our choice. That's our opportunity. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. In just a moment, we'll be singing a final song of worship. And one of the things that, that um, I just want to encourage you to do this morning is Ask God which of those two needs the greatest work in your life. What's the Spirit of God say? Is it an issue of dedication right now that you need more of? Or an issue of transformation? What are the boundaries? What are the, what are the limitations that you have given before God say, you know what, I'll only dedicate up to this much. What's the transforming that you said, you know what, I just, I can't overcome this issue. God's looking for partners. He's looking for people to represent him. 
is looking in this room right now and he wants you. Stop holding back. Stop holding out on God. You know, maybe through everything that we've talked about this, this morning, the idea of partnering with God and representing him seems like a distant idea to you. It, it, the idea when I share with you that your heart is, we become inoculated to the gospel. Maybe that's you, that maybe the, the Bible and the gospel is more in your head than in your heart. And if that's you, man, I would encourage you to talk to someone today. We've got a prayer team out in the lobby. They've got white lanyards on. They'd love to sit with you and talk with you about any questions you might have about Jesus, what it really means to follow and trust in him with your life. Don't hold back. Don't, don't, another, don't let another day go by with you living in a me-centered life. Father God, I pray right now as we close our time here today, I pray that God, it would be an opportunity for all of us to reflect on your power and your love that drive the transformation and dedication of our lives to you. God, we want to be a people that pursue at all costs a passion, God-centered life. So that, God, our friends and our neighbors would have the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus. Lord, help us. We need you now. We bring these things at your feet. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.